0: hello i'm rachel lyman and we want to welcome you to interfaith connection a spiritual life center monthly podcast dedicated to the interfaith exploration of faith traditions that promote love our study will allow us to build bridges of understanding acceptance love and peace my partner in so many ways on this journey is rev dave lyman Senior Minister for the Interfaith Explorers. He's an ordained interfaith minister and my beloved husband. This year, we will be on a grand adventure of exploring interfaith, and we're so excited that you have joined us. So buckle up and get ready for our 2021 adventure with today's podcast. Today's podcast completes the second quarter of our Interfaith Connection podcast. During the past three months, we explored personal interfaith journeys of some interfaith community leaders. Today, we will complete this series by interviewing another interfaith leader, my husband Rev Dave Lyman. He is an interfaith minister. Dave has agreed to talk to us today about the inspiration behind and the transformation of his life as an interfaith minister. So welcome Dave, it's so good to have you with us today and thank you for your willingness to share your interfaith journey with us.
1: Good morning, Rachel. It's nice to see you. It's been so long since I've seen you, um, being that we live in the same house. That's true.
0: It's been like 30 seconds, I think. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, yes, we are married and cohabitate in a very beautiful setting and um, very blessed to have you in my life. So let's, uh, let's get down to business. So first of all, I'm going to ask you, what experiences in your early life open your road to end up as a minister?
1: Well, Rachel, when I left home to go to college, I was a person who was curious about life. And at college, um, I studied a number of things. And I came under the mentorship of the Dean of Students Office. Uh, and in the end, I ran, helped run the uh, orientation of freshman students at the university. Um, I ended up running some encounter groups as a representative for the Dean of Students Office. And had other amazing opportunities, which really gave me a chance to meet uh, some really well-known people and learn a lot about the new thought movement, human potential. And human potential and new thought is just another way of talking about spirituality, really, I think. Um, I went on from there and went out into the world and and as I went out into the world I started exploring different faith traditions I was a Mormon for a a number of years Um, I did different things and in the mid-80s I found a workshop called understanding yourself and others based on the work of Dr. Adler one of the uh, colleagues of Sigmund Freud Uh, I started as a participant in the program and then a facilitator and finally led some of the workshops And in the end, after all that, as I continued to grow, I got a degree in hypnotherapy and I opened up and ran a thriving practice in downtown Sacramento. All of those things have such deep connection to spirituality, though I hadn't realized it at the time uh, about how growing in those kind of areas opened me to learn more about myself And about God.
0: So you had a background, it sounds like, where you have a a deep love of people and connecting with people and helping people. So with all the uh, experiences you had, um, how did you end up, uh, with that background, uh, becoming an interfaith minister?
1: Well, a number of years ago, I hooked up with The unity that Phil and Dorothy Pearson ran in a bowling alley on L Street. And I got very involved in that unity church. After a while, I had heard of a unity church that was being started by two former ministers that were associate ministers for Phil and Dorothy, Michael and Faith Moran. And I actually, in, uh, I believe it was 1998, went to the second service they ever did at the Little Church on 24th and K Street. Then I didn't go back for a year, and then I went back, and did I ever get involved? Um, I basically said yes to everything. And after a while, I was a member of the board. I was doing my thing, meeting people, working, helping out in different ways and in our board meetings we were like a family so before our board meetings we would have a meal and share what was going on in our lives and there came one night as we finished our meal that reverend christine bauten said i have decided to become a minister an interfaith minister and i have signed up for a program and then she paused with great drama and looked around and said, and I want to have everyone here at the table check within their heart because I'd love to have someone else or anyone else on my journey with me. Well, I thought nothing of that. I went home that night and I woke up in the middle of the night With the clear thought, I was going to become an interfaith minister. Now, I have to tell you, I was having an internal fight. There was a part of me going, wait a minute, you're not a minister? This calling must be for the guy that lives next door. Because obviously, it's not for me. But by the time morning came, I had realized that it was for me. And I signed up. I signed up to join and um, spend the next years going through an ordination process with Reverend Christine, um, where we were on retreats together and spent a lot of time going through the process.
0: So I understand that uh, you went to the new seminary, which is uh, housed in New York City. And that most uh, you did a lot of classes online, and but you did have to go to New York City several weeks out of those three years, two years, uh, to participate in uh, classes there. Can you uh, tell me some of your experiences in those schooling years, and what what are some of the experiences that really stand out for you?
1: Well, I took some extra steps. I actually went a couple times both years, um, and when we started out. The very first thing we did, we had a class of 105 to start with. And obviously that was weeded out over the the years. And they started off with an exercise where we had been told to do business cards um, as a minister. So I brought a business card and said Reverend Dave Lyman, and I said weddings and memorials. and, And the exercise was to introduce ourselves to all our classmates. And I was to walk up to the classmate and shake their hand, say, hi, I'm Reverend Dave Lyman, and I'm a minister. And then the classmate was told to say to us, hi, I'm so-and-so and I see you. And in doing that exercise, there were periods of time that people were bursting into tears because of the passion and the truth of what this was. Being a minister is not anything less than a calling. And so that exercise took us into these two years of study. I remember during the first year we studied the faith traditions, going through Houston Smith's book, Religion of the Worlds, and got a chance to meet Houston Smith.
0: So he was there in New York in one of your classes?
1: No, he uh, was the keynote speaker of the first year graduation. And um, did you want details about that?
0: No, I just uh, wondered how you met him.
1: And as we went through the process, we studied the different faith traditions. And I got a chance to realize that I knew very little about some and I knew a lot about others. That I was very very comfortable with some of them and I was very uncomfortable with others and that year gave me the opportunity to really expand that I realized how much this was a passion for me when we did the first year retreat and the classes went all through the day and we finished at nine o'clock and the entire week we were there we were we wouldn't leave. They had to kick us out. We were in a dormitory situation. They, have to, they had to send us to bed because we, we typically would go until 1 or 2 in the morning just talking about God. And it was amazing. The year before we graduated, there were a number of people in our class that were very, very passionate And six of us actually went a week early into upstate New York and spent that entire week talking Spirit and God. The other great experience was, of course, putting together a church service. And for some reason, being shy and subtle like I am, um, I was chosen to do the sermon. And I did a sermon where I put together a talk about a minister giving a talk and the second part of the talk was ego was involved and talking to the minister. And the third part of the talk was God was involved. So there were three of us giving us, giving the talk. Um, as my dean of students said from the seminary, you're very brave to do this for your first sermon. And on top of all, just before... Go ahead, do you have a question?
0: Well, I want to say that I was uh, privileged to hear that particular sermon. I was taking a class in, uh, with, from Shanna McAleer at a uh, spiritual life center, and she invited you to come to our class to give that sermon.
1: And the interesting part about it for me is when I first gave that sermon, and we we're going to do an evaluation before the 90 people, Just before we went on, and the sermon was scripted out so that Ego would say this, and then God would say that, and at one point Ego was supposed to go, well, you know, the guy in the third row is falling asleep. This sermon is not going well. Well, Ego, the lady, the minister that played Ego was a minister from New York. She came up to me and she said, I don't feel comfortable doing a script. Ego wouldn't do it that way. So I'm just going to ad lib. I'm not going to tell you when I'm coming in. I am truly going to be your ego. And I said, well, let me summarize this then. We're going to do my very first sermon. And you're going to jump in and interrupt, but not tell me when you're going to do it. She, she said, yes. And I looked at her and I said, boy, am I glad God is a part of this speech.
0: Well, that sounds fascinating. I wanted to back up um and that it was a wonderful talk by the way. I uh I thought it was very clever when I heard it. And and uh yeah, very brave of you but also very human. Uh, because we all have those voices. We both we all have the voice of of ego and the voice of God with us at all times. And I kind of wanted to back up in your, um, so you, you were inspired to go to school to become a, a minister. When you got there, some of the things that you learned and the people you met really started to transform you into an interfaith minister. And I wanted to ask, were some of those people in your classes, they were evidently from various faith traditions already. So that must have given you even a, a more of a breadth of those particular faith traditions. Is that correct or?
1: Not so much. Um, I mean, we didn't, it, it was an interfaith seminary, but there, and there were some Buddhists, but there were no Hindus. There were no Mormons. There were no Jewish. Uh, there, there were some Jewish, but it was not as diverse as you would imagine, mm. Um, And you need to remember that in the period of time that I took the classes, which was some uh, 17, 18, 20 years ago, interfaith was not what it is today. Interfaith was cutting edge. Interfaith was stepping beyond the veil you would uh, say you were an interfaith minister and then you'd have to explain what that meant
0: what that is yeah so when i was talking to you about this uh, podcast presentation you said there are there are different kinds of ministers that have different jobs and um wanted to ask again how how did you end up becoming an interfaith minister re- as opposed to maybe becoming a unity minister or uh, a minister of some other faith tradition?
1: Well, part of it was, um, I was again, very, very involved in Spiritual Life Center. And at that point in time, Spiritual Life Center, when they came to Sacramento, were called here by a vision. Um, And Unity had some regulations that, that did not make it possible for Spiritual Life Center to come to Sacramento. As a unity church So Even though in the end Christine and I probably will, Both would have been unity ministers That path was not Available to us So in exploring the different paths Finding interfaith I had always Believed in a loving God And I Believed in the Interfaith Community that spiritual Life Center had as a vision. A place where everyone could come worship in the way they chose. That our relationship is a personal relationship with God. And so it was perfect for me. With arms wide open and a loving God, there was no other way I would work. And at SLC I got a chance to work with a number of the leaders of other interfaith traditions because two of the leaders of interfaith in the region and all the time they were ministers were michael and faith moran then on top of it all i married a poor little presbyterian girl as she says um and she is a woman that is got such a tremendous foundation of interfaith because there is a drive within her to learn about other faith traditions. And it is such an interesting thing because I'm listed as the interfaith minister, but when we go to community events, the other spiritual leaders will come up to me and ask where sister Rachel is. (laughs) And so I have had as a blessing, the ability to just follow my wife as she puts together programs. Even to the point of this interfaith connection today, I am but an employee of Rachel Lyman and Interfaith Connections. I've been hired as the senior minister. My pay is astronomical. It's nothing, though I've been told she's going to double it.
0: That's true. Uh, you're still on probation. So uh, uh, it should be ending shortly. And then uh, we'll see about a pay raise for you. So yes, it's been an amazing journey. And I, uh, this is not my interview, but I I was raised in the Presbyterian church and a a friend uh, introduced me to spiritual life center. And, um, I just, I love learning. I love uh, learning about different cultures and uh, the interfaith uh, came across my radar and I just ran with it. So I I love it. And I'm so glad that you love it as well. So I think the two two of us really are um, a a wonderful team in that area. So in 2014 and 2015, we developed the Interfaith Connection program, Wednesday night program, and we did that for uh, two years. But can you tell us the uh, about the birth of that and uh, how that transpired and maybe some of your, um, some of your favorite programs and speakers? Uh, in
1: 2013, Michael Moran had um... Retired as a minister at Spiritual Life Center, Reverend Trapp had come along. um, But he wanted to do the Wednesday night program. And he sat down with you and I and a few others and said, I I have a vision of a program uh, where we do interfaith. And we get a chance to meet each other. And we start off with a meal of either salad or soup in the winter. And um, it'll be a wonderful program. So, we put it forth as a proposal and started it in 2014. Um, 2014, about halfway through the year, Michael had family steps that occurred so that it ended up, he ended up in the Northwest with his family and his grandkids. A perfect place for him because he is a perfect grandfather. And so, you and I kind of stepped up and finished the year off and then put together a program for 2015. And what the vision was for 2015 was to do it differently. We did a lot of details in 2014 and talked about how the faith traditions started, who the leaders were. In 2015, our goal was to allow our participants, our people that came to visit and join our services, To learn what it was like to be a member of that faith tradition and because of that we had services that were beyond amazing ranging from phil pearson's very first talk in the sacramento region after he had come back from unity village uh, to a night where we had a young couple one one of them was muslim and one of them was hindu and they talked about the journey of marriage and having to let their parents know that they were going to do it Uh, we had baha'i visiting us we had um, a jewish rabbi sharing her journey uh, and telling us afterwards it's wonderful to be able to share this because this is my story and it's not something I get a chance to tell in places. We had an amazing night with Karen Drucker Uh, and in the end though we didn't know it it was one of the most successful programs in the United States and as a culmination of it we took some 35 people to the religion the Parliament of World Religions Um, we That was in Salt
0: Lake City, correct?
1: Yes, that was in Salt Lake City. And the parliament was some 12,000 people getting together with thousands and thousands of different faith traditions um, and huge classes and events. And our 35 people included, I believe, nine or 10 unity and interfaith ministers. We had people from retreat centers in Washington. Um, The group was amazing. And we spent the week learning and sharing time together. Uh, And it included things like walking around the corner and watching 15 angels with wings go up an escalator. And the next corner would be Tibetan monks making a mandala. Each day, the Sikhs had a languor, which was their sharing of a meal in which they would feed between five and 8,000 people each day. And our trip was amazing, though I'm always reminded of the fact that the thing that got my wife's interest was the fact that in the middle of each city block, in the city of Salt Lake City, they have flags and crosswalks and you take the flag out of its container and hold it out and the cars are trained to stop. Rachel thought it was the coolest thing in the world and she wanted to bring one of those flags home with us.
0: I did. <laughs> I didn't bring a flag home but I that would have been fun to do. That 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 trip to the Parliament of World Religions was Pretty awesome. And and you're right. We learned there as we talked to people, uh, you know, you, you don't realize what an impact you have. But when we talk to people about other programs throughout the United States at the time, you found out you talked to someone and said, wow, because we averaged 60 people every Wednesday night for two years. and And they said that was, you know, it's not just the number of people, but what transpired during those Wednesday nights. It was more important, but um, if people thought that was an amazing program, and it was. It was a Camelot program.
1: It really was. I always view it as the perfect storm because um, the people we had, uh, one of my very favorite musical groups is a group called Acoustic Idolon, and they're just a wonderful group of musicians, a uh, uh, husband, wife, and I found out early in the year that they were coming to do One concert in California on a Friday night and just on an off chance because I had, uh, being a musician, I'd actually played on stage with him a number of years before at Spiritual Life Center. I sent Joe a note and said, we're doing this program, might you be available on Wednesday night? And he said, it just happens we're coming into California on Tuesday. So we do have Wednesday open. And it's the only Wednesday we have open pretty much all year. And that was the kind of year it was. If, if we wanted to have somebody, it would turn out they were available.
0: And I, I have to say that I heard private conversations from many of those speakers who were very grateful to have been asked to tell their personal story for the first time ever. Uh, and it really enriched the faith tradition that they were living. And I think it, it truly enriched our understanding of things, too. So let's get back to some of the things for you. Now, we're in very challenging times and have been for uh, quite a while now. And as a minister, um, We, we need to find out how self-care plays a part in, in, in balancing you out and keeping you grounded as a minister, because people will look up to you as a person who's grounded in spirit. So how do, how, what do you do for self-care?
1: Well, the truth of the matter is, is there is an entire circle around how we live our lives. And the amount of self love and self care we do. The feeding we do for ourselves. Enables us to have a higher level of ability to do the same for others. Um, There's a quiet haven within each of us. It's a place of heart and serenity. This is our arena of self care. And uh, during these challenging times, as we go through the pandemic, we've been left alone with the, the worst danger in our lives, which is our minds. So it's the steps we can take to find this place within us. Um,
0: what are what some, some of the areas and, and experiences throughout just a normal day that feed
1: you? Silence, uh, time in the backyard, doing a daily meditation, cooking in my kitchen. This has been a sweet time, I think, for everyone, because we've all had a chance to reconnect or deeper connect to the things that feed us. Well, that's
0: thank you for that, because... um, it's important to be reminded that we need to have those things in our lives every day to help us uh, quiet ourselves down and stay balanced. So I understand you've been on the board of the Interfaith Council for six years. Um, first, I want to find out how you how you got on the board and um, what's what's going what's has transpired for you during these past six years and some of the things you'd like to uh, uh, talk about uh, uh, that the Interfaith Council is doing and some of the, uh, just what's going on with that.
1: Um, I've been involved in a lot of interfaith events in the Sacramento region and gotten to know a lot of interfaith leaders. One of them was one of my favorite friends, John Fish. Um, And at that time, he was the president of the board, and he recruited me. He came and talked to me and said, Dave, I'd like to have you on the board. Um, There's a huge diversity in Sacramento, and there's a beautiful interfacing of the faith traditions, much, much more than I had imagined. And so for the last six years, I've been on the board, and I'm coming to the end of my term next year. They have a wonderful newsletter, and I challenge everyone to subscribe to that newsletter because it has the many events that are happening in the region and outside of the region that will help us grow spiritually. Um, This year, we're
0: so that's. I just want to reiterate that people can just go go to your internet and type in Interfaith Council of Greater Sacramento, and when you get to their website, you can type uh, uh, click on events, and that takes you to their newsletter. And there's a whole list of newsletters that comes out every two weeks, and and also uh, before you even get to that, it tells you you can subscribe to the newsletter by just clicking on. Follow the Yellowbrook Road on it. So please do. Good suggestion.
1: This year, one of the things we're doing is called the Generous Listening Program. And it's a panel that has occurred once already, and it'll be three more times, with a chosen subject and four community leaders and a discussion. And the discussion is profound and deep. The Interfaith Bureau also works with Faith TV, and that's one of the branches of the Interfaith Bureau, and it has wonderful religious programming of all sorts. Part of the older programming is a series by John Fish called 30 Minutes of Faith. And that's a great program to get on your search engine because it has a number of interviews with a lot of people in Sacramento. We are also in the process of expanding. The Interfaith Council of Elk Grove has started in the last year and they're very active and we're we're looking to see if there perhaps is a group of people up in Auburn that would do the same kind of thing. It's an amazing process being on the board and there are a lot of things we will be doing in the future. We're becoming more and more active in helping all of us get a chance to know each other better.
0: Yes, the the council is uh, very much the main force in Sacramento, like you said, they are expanding and, and uh, uh, it, it is exciting times. So let's take a look at kind of the history of interfaith and uh, what's the difference for you as an interfaith minister Uh, between the end of the last century and interfaith today?
1: Uh, Interfaith was a strange concept and word in the 90s. It seemed to be something that was very much on cutting edge and, and it was a concept that wasn't addressed by a lot of people. Today, it is a part of the landscape. It is a process whereby people can really know about other faith traditions. It is that process of give and take. You know, we get caught up that this is a time of more chaos and more violence and more destruction than the world has ever had. Yet it is also a time of limitless possibilities, and it is a time when we have more opportunities in interfaith to share with each other. Interfaith is the balance. There is so much happening. And as I work with this interfaith and and I work with interfaith and the drive and integrity that goes on between different people, I'm reminded that we're not called during the easy and good times. We have all been called as you listen to this podcast. You are listening to the podcast for a reason. We're called in times of challenge. We're asked to be authentic. Each of us listening today has an opportunity to make a difference. And so I challenge everyone listening today, expand your knowledge about your brothers and sisters. Subscribe to the Interfaith Explorers, the group that Rachel has. Check out the different events in the newsletters and attend. It's important. It makes a difference because it helps us stay connected to the divine we are. And because there are no accidents, it is always the perfect unfolding.
0: That's true. And um, the Interfaith Council of Greater Sacramento does have their newsletter that they send out every two weeks. And what happened with us when we started doing the podcast and and then uh, Mighty Networks came into play and we have an Interfaith Explorers group in Mighty Networks, Um, I used to send out uh, information on a regular basis to an Interfaith Explorers list. And what happened with that, it, it oozed into a constant contact list and I developed a newsletter An Interfaith Explorers Newsletter, and that goes out once a month. So if you're interested, like Dave said, in in finding, getting more information and learning more, uh, send me an email at interfaith at slcworld.org and let us, let me know that you want to be on the, the Interfaith Newsletter, Interfaith Explorers Newsletter list. So, and then we'll make sure you get on that and you'll receive a newsletter at the end of every month. So, one of the questions that um, you helped me develop these questions and you develop many of them yourself. Um, so, a question is, what would you want to make sure I ask you today?
1: Um. I think that one of the things that occurs for all of us is this magic word called doubt. And um, I want everyone to know that in truth, that you and I are no different than anyone else. That as we go through this program, that as we take these steps, there are nights that we are the cell phone advertisement, where we look at each other and go, can you hear me now? Where we essentially say, is anyone out there listening? And as I go through and realize that just as each of us, we remember and we forget, and when we forget, we get doubtful. I'm reminded of the Sufi story that I love. It's the story of God talking to man and man saying to God that they would like a favor of God. And God says, what is the favor you want of me? And mankind, and I do want to interspace for everyone that I'm talking about mankind, womankind, all. I'm not just talking about men. But mankind says to God, I would like to have the ability to touch other people in a deeper way, to make a difference. And God said to man, I give you that ability, but you will never know when or where it happens. And I love that story because that is the truth of it. We don't know. We're throwing rocks out into ponds based on our passion and compassion. And we just let the rocks drop where they will. And we don't know the difference it makes because it is about perception. And, of course, being a minister, I have another story. Story, again, of God and man talking. And man saying to God, How long is eternity? And God saying, A second. And man saying, How much is a billion dollars? And God says, A penny. And man says, Can I have a penny? And God says, In a second.
0: That's it where we, as humans, tend to be impatient and we want to, our ego wants to know if we're making a difference for sure. So I hate to say this, but as a minister, uh, we have to, we're uh, unfortunately at our closing now. So, uh, and most, as you always told me, a minister gets called back if he's very brief. So what would you want to say as your closing remarks today, Dave?
1: So let me close by saying I I am honored to be working with you, a true interfaith person. And the paths that it has led us on, um, it's been trouble ever since you asked me out <laughs> on December 16, 2005.
0: That's good trouble.
1: And it's the longest date I've ever been on. <laughs> um, I want to reiterate the difference that the interfaith explorers make. And, and if you are at all interested in 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 exploring other faith traditions, but on the other side, knowing that you're going to have a good time because Rachel believes in that. And finally, that there are other opportunities ahead for us. On August 4th and September 15th, We're actually, at Spiritual Life Center, going to take a couple of the Wednesday nights. Now, they're doing Wednesday nights in lots of different ways, but we've asked for a couple traditional ones. And it appears as if we are moving in that direction, depending on what the final COVID uh, openings are going to be. But it appears as if we're going to be able to physically, with proper social distancing and everything, have gatherings on August 4th and September 15th, in which we're gonna explore light uh, in a number of different ways, in four different ways. And Rachel has a number of wonderful guests coming who are going to explore things like the Advent wreath, the Diwali, Kwanzaa, and Hanukkah. And so please join us she will be sending out information on it, and it'll be a wonderful gathering. Other than that, um, it's just such an honor to be doing this. And so, great thanks.
0: Well, great thanks to you too, Dave, for telling us your some of your personal stories about becoming an interfaith minister, what it's what what the inspiration behind it was, how it transformed your life and how it continues to transform your life. So we thank you so much for being willing to uh, be with us today and talk about that. So our next quarter of three podcasts will focus, like Dave said, on interfaith celebrations of light. In July, Rev Dave and I will discuss how light is a part of many faith traditions. And we're going to give an overview uh, during that podcast of some of the annual holy celebrations and rituals of life. And la- like Dave said, in August, um, I have uh, two guests coming to uh, light the Advent week, Christian Advent week, from my former Presbyterian church, Bethany Presbyterian church, Rev. Uh, Reverend Judith Davis, and my dear friend Kathy Frank, who's a congregant there, and they're going to do that ritual, and then Dave and I that same night, August fourth, we'll talk about Diwali, and Rangolis and so forth. So stay tuned for that. We hope to live stream that, and we hope to see some of you in the sanctuary at SLC. So thank you. Stay tuned, and we'll. See you next time. Thank you for joining us today to experience and explore a deeper understanding of our interfaith look at the world. Our next podcast will be available the last Friday of the month, but we want to hear from you. So send us your comments, questions, and suggestions to interfaith at slcworld.org. That's interfaith at slcworld.org because we want to know about your interfaith art. So let us all remember as we go on our different paths that Gandhi said, a peaceful exploration of all faiths is our sacred duty.